And the topic tonight I'd like to explore with you is wisdom. What it is, how we cultivate it, and how we experience it. That's really the biggest piece I'd like to explore. Following from Bhante's talk last night, he a number of times said that little by little we cultivate the conditions that allow us to open to the truth, open to this freedom. And the conditions, the little by little cultivation is the cultivation of wisdom. We've said so many times on this retreat and it came up again in the hall this morning. Wisdom is what does the work of freeing the mind. We can't consciously do that. Saira Utejaniya says, when asked, why do we practice? He says, we practice to cultivate wisdom. And this fits in very much with the Buddha's teaching. The Eightfold Path begins with wisdom, wise understanding, wise intention. And yet there's two framings of the Eightfold Path, the the standard framing with the eight path factors, wise understanding, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration which in which case the path begins with wisdom, begins with what we can call uh, the wisdom of learning. We have to start somewhere, right? We have to start somewhere from learning, hearing teachings. And this is where our path begins. It begins by hearing the teachings of the Buddha, beginning to reflect on them, which we can think of as the second kind of wisdom. So first we hear, we listen, we read, we um, take in wisdom and begin thinking about it. Does this make sense? How can I apply this to my own life? Can I, do I want to apply this to my life? Does it make sense to me? And this is the Um, part of where we will begin to practice. When we reflect on the teachings, wise understanding, when we, that first factor of the path, wise understanding, leads to wise intention, which carries us into action. And so the, the wisdom of the Buddha carries us into practicing. Practicing wise mindfulness, Practicing wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. Practicing wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. The second way the path is described, and some of you are probably familiar with this framing too, is um, the gradual development, beginning with generosity and then leading to sila, ethical conduct, Samadhi, the cultivation of the settledness of mind. And Panya, wisdom. 
the understanding is that the gradual training unfolds in this direction. We begin with cultivating our hearts and minds in connectivity with the world through generosity and ethical conduct, and then begin cultivating the inner mind to let go of the ways that we cling, and this creates the conditions to open to wisdom. And so in many ways we can see the path both begins and ends with wisdom. The beginning of the path, it is the form of wisdom that is hearing, reflecting, understanding. This is suttamayapanya in the Pali. The wisdom, we take that and act, is the wisdom of reflection, chintamayapanya. And the last kind of wisdom, the third kind of wisdom, is the wisdom of insight where we actually have the direct experience of wisdom, bhavana mayapanya. When I um, first started hearing the word wisdom a lot in Dharma talks and things, I had this kind of grand idea (laughs) about it. You know, I thought, I don't have any wisdom or, you know, it's just like, what is this wisdom? And um, uh, it's not, it's not really, uh, I also had this idea that there was going to be some big mind-blowing insight and then after that everything would be different. And as uh, Bhante said so many times yesterday, it's a, a gradual development of wisdom. Little by little, over and over, we uh, cultivate our hearts and minds and wisdom grows. Wisdom is actually a factor of mind. Carol mentioned this this morning in answer to one of the questions, I believe, that wisdom is its a factor of mind. It's subject to causes and conditions. It's actually found, wisdom is actually found in one of the key lists of the Buddha called the five spiritual faculties. And those five spiritual faculties are five of the really beautiful, wholesome qualities that are cultivated as we practice. The other night, Winnie talked about this, that as we practice, wholesome qualities are cultivated. And this is one of the lists of wholesome qualities that are very active in the practice of meditation. Saito Utejaniya actually calls this list the, the, uh, the way, essentially the way the meditating mind works. And those five factors are confidence. You'll recognize them. We've talked about all of them. Confidence or faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And they are all factors of mind that are cultivated by conditions. And so they arise with certain conditions, they pass away when conditions are not present. And so wisdom is a conditioned arising. We can cultivate conditions that will support its arising.
the wisdom of the Buddha. At one point he, um, I think somebody mentioned this in the hall at one point, at one point he picked up a handful of leaves from the ground and he said, tell me, are the leaves I have in my hand uh, greater than the leaves that are in the trees in the forest? And they said, well, obviously the leaves in the forest are greater than the leaves you have in your hand. And he said, in the same way, he said, what I know, what I understand is vast, but what I teach is this handful of leaves. I teach just what you need to know to understand suffering and to end suffering. And so the wisdom that the Buddha taught the teachings of the Buddha are really oriented around this question. How do we understand suffering and how can suffering come to an end? And so it's no surprise actually that the wisdom is developed through contact with dukkha. Joseph sometimes says, that we want insight into dukkha without experiencing dukkha. And it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so I'd like to talk about these three kinds of wisdom, briefly about the first two, and then more in depth about how we actually experience wisdom. Because you have all experienced wisdom. And um, it can be helpful to have it pointed out to us that wisdom is arising in our experience. It took me a while before I really understood this. And it was very helpful to be able to acknowledge and to recognize, yes, this is wisdom. So the first two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom of hearing, of learning, we're doing this one a lot. You know, the, the, the meetings, the uh, interviews in the hall, the questions, the Dharma talks, we're offering support, we're offering teachings, we're offering information for you to take in, to reflect on. And then we begin to reflect on that, apply it looking at it in our practice. The practice of satipatthana, the practice of right mindfulness, is a, an exploration of wisdom. Right mindfulness, the way it's uh, talked about, the way the Buddha offered that teaching, as we've been talking about and we explored very early in the retreat, right mindfulness includes wisdom. It includes the wisdom of, basically the orientation of wise mindfulness is to understand that what's arising in the present moment is a present moment arising. It's really a very simple, a very simple turning of the mind to just recognize what's happening in the present moment is an arising in the present moment. That orientation begins to allow the whole of the 
uh, Dharma to unfold. Munindraji is um, said to have told Joseph a number of times, sit and know that you're sitting and the entire Dharma will be revealed to you. It can be that simple. Know what's happening in the present moment as a present moment arising. And that's our orientation. That's what we've been practicing. And so this bringing right mindfulness, hearing the teachings, bringing right mindfulness to our experience, this is a way of cultivating this chintamaya panya. We are reflecting on the teachings and beginning to act on them. Explore it for ourselves. We can also use reflection, actual conscious reflection, to bring wisdom in if things feel a bit challenging or difficult. Because often, I mean, I certainly have had many experiences where I'm sitting attempting to bring wise mindfulness to my uh, experience and still really struggling. And sometimes it can be helpful to use this second kind of wisdom, consciously, actively, by bringing in wisdom thoughts. This is a, a practice uh, Saira Utejaniya teaches quite a bit, actually. Just dropping in wisdom into the mind if there's a sense of struggle. I'm going to offer you some of the ones that I found helpful. This is just, this is just anger, this is just fear, this is just confusion, this is just sadness, this is just loneliness. It's kind of a reminder, it's pointing back to that reminder, yes, this is something that's happening in the present moment. And so if we're caught, we can bring some of these uh, thoughts to bear on experience and see what happens. This is a conscious use of thought, a a use of skillful thought in the practice. Reflecting on the impermanent nature of the experience. This will pass. This will pass. As I uh, mentioned that, the, the one that popped into my mind, I don't remember, I don't think I've mentioned this in the hall. At one point I was, um, I had a, I had, a real strong orientation towards aversion. Still have that as a, as a, as a big tendency, although I see it's shifted quite a bit. Um, but early on in my practice, it was uh, very strong and it was hard to experience pleasant emotions. And as I began in the practice to experience metta and joy, it was very uncomfortable. And at one point I was sitting at my uh, table having breakfast and a wave of joy just rose over me and it's like, I felt like, whoa, this is way too intense. I can't handle this. And the wisdom thought passed through. This one I didn't consciously bring in, but this one just passed through. It's okay, it will pass. And that really helped. I mean, it actually got really strong in a mo- for, a, for a few moments. It was like a w- big wave of joy. 
And then it, it kind of, I went to the other side of it and it just was like this delightful happiness. And, you know, I had been like trying to hold it down because it was so strong, so intense, and I was not used to it. And so, you know, reflecting <laughs> on the impermanence of it was very helpful. <laughs> Another one that I find really, really helpful, this one Asaida Utejaniya taught me, um, and this requires a little explanation, but um, he says, just remind yourself, this is nature. Whatever's happening, this is nature. And uh, on reflection, I, I really liked this, um, this reflection, because what to me it points to is that whatever is happening in the present moment, of course it's happening. Whatever's happening in this moment is a product of all of the choices from the past leading to this moment, all of the conditions having come together leading to this moment. What's arising right now is arising very naturally. It's it's, It's like a tree is growing. A seed has been planted and the tree has grown. It's like, of course this is arising. So that, to me, that saying that this is nature encapsulates a whole bunch of um, understanding about the process nature of experience, the cause and effect nature of experience, and the, um, the kind of, just that there's so many conditions that come together to create this moment. It's like so vast. It's just nature unfolding right now. That one has been really, really helpful to me when I've gotten caught in certain kinds of mind states. So just dropping that in has uh, kind of created some room in which that mindfulness could meet the experience more easily. Instead of fighting against it, it helped to create the conditions for wise mindfulness. Instead of the, the kind of attitude of the mind that was resisting or fighting the experience. One that the Buddha recommended, he actually uses this in, um, in some of the discourses, he, he uses this kind of reflections. He, he says, what is arising you should understand? This is not I, this is not mine, this is not myself. And it's got quotes around it. Kind of reflecting to yourself, this is not self. This is not I, this is not me, this is not mine. That's another version of the, this is nature. It can sometimes be helpful to find reflections like this that resonate with your understanding. Make them your own. That uh, language, like for me, having reflected on this is nature, it has a very deep resonance for me when I drop that into my practice. And so if you find, you can find uh, language for your own expression of wisdom. 
At one point in my practice, Saira Utejaniya asked me to recognize the wisdom that was arising in my experience. And at that point, wisdom still seemed pretty abstract to me. And so I wasn't really sure what he meant. But I began exploring what wisdom is arising in my experience. This was at a point when my, my practice was pretty settled, pretty, there was quite a bit of continuity of mindfulness. And I began exploring what is wisdom? It took a while for me to be able to recognize it and then when I began to recognize it, I saw it all over the place. And I saw it actually retrospectively all over the place. I saw that wisdom has been with me my whole journey. And I didn't really recognize it. And so this talk really grew out of this exploration. Well, this exploration plus a question that somebody asked me in a retreat after I began using the word wisdom in my talks and talking about, you know, wisdom a lot, somebody raised their hand and said, what are the symptoms of wisdom? (laughs) I thought that was a great way to put it. And so I reflected on it and I gave an answer, but this talk really grew out of both that exploration that Tejaniya set me on and answering that question. So I'd like to spend some time now pointing to ways in which wisdom is experienced from very simple ways to more, uh, you know, some very simple ways that we're all familiar with and some perhaps um, less familiar ways. These are just some examples. I cannot possibly be exhaustive here as I have seen in my exploration of this topic, there are, I think there are infinite ways wisdom can manifest. Your own experience will point things out to you in different ways. And you will begin to understand it yourself. So these are just some examples of wisdom at work in experience. So probably the One of the first ways that we see wisdom at work as we begin to practice meditation is that simple shift around something challenging. We um, are meditating, perhaps struggling a little bit with a reaction to anger or confusion. And then suddenly there's a shift and the mind recognizes, oh, this is just anger. And that's not, like like earlier I was saying you could use that as a reflection. What I'm saying here is the direct understanding in the moment. It's a shift of perspective. There's a kind of somehow some space that's created. I know you've all experienced this. There's been something happening and suddenly it's like, oh right, this is just happening right now. This um, is a situation where, you know, it's not that the 
experience like suddenly vanishes or it feels like you've seen through it or understood it completely, but it's, there's some ease with the being able to meet it. It's kind of like an, an analogy might be, um, you know, there's a, there, if you're in a, a, a car going 60 miles an hour down the freeway, this kind of insight is like taking your foot off the accelerator and putting the car into neutral. That the, the seeing doesn't stop the momentum of that pattern from continuing. But it will stop because you're no longer fueling it. Just like the car will come to a stop because the car's in neutral. So that's, that's one way that we experience wisdom, that sense of, oh, this is just. That shift is the shift of wise attitude that Saira Utejaniya talks about, the, the, the attitude of mind that can be okay with whatever is arising. Okay that anger is arising, okay that confusion is arising. It's just an arising. This is another uh, aspect of wisdom in the present moment, that mind that recognizes what's happening now is happening now. I started with that at the beginning of the talk. That recognition of, oh, what's happening is actually something that's happening right now. There's a huge difference, and this is another one I think you've all seen, There's a huge difference between thinking and being aware that thought is arising in the present moment. When we're aware that thought is arising in the present moment, what tends to happen is that the mind is not fooled by the thought, right? It's not fooled by thinking that the thought is Well, something it's not. <laughs> I talked about the, you know, the kind of bubble of world that we get born into when we're not mindful of thought. We believe, we believe the reality that thoughts paint for us when we're not aware that thought isn't arising in the present moment. And so this is a manifestation of wisdom. When we see thought and know this is a thought happening in the present moment, wisdom is operating. It's helping us to not believe the creation of that thought as a reality, as as a firm, fixed reality. We understand it is something that is being created now in the present moment. Another um, way that wisdom operates in the present moment, a kind of a, a different perspective of how wisdom sees things, is when it sees things as uh, causes and conditions, as you're seeing a pattern unfold. So, you know, something difficult, for example, and as I said, 
um, early on, you know, the, uh, it's not an accident, it's not a mistake when we are meeting dukkha. It's how wisdom grows through the meeting of dukkha. And so we, uh, we observe over and over again a difficult pattern, you know, around, my, my example, around anger. Over and over again, watching that pattern come and go. We see it over and over and over again. This is where we, um, you know, we get a little caught. You know, wisdom, wisdom doesn't work like knowledge. Wisdom um, isn't something that you necessarily can just say, oh, I have that wisdom. I can use that now. And we can do that a little bit with the use of the reflections that I mentioned. But, you know, I know you've all seen this too, that we have an insight into something. We see, oh, this is just anger. And we watch it dissipate. And then there's another time when we see, oh, this is anger. And it's not, this is just anger. And we're caught in it. And we wonder, why is it? I learned this lesson. I've seen wisdom. I've seen, I've seen this is just anger. How come I can't do that now? It's like, Wisdom isn't something we just pick up or like, like book knowledge. It has conditions that come together. Sometimes the conditions come together to help us to see in this moment, oh, this is just anger. And sometimes we get to watch the pattern unfold. We get to see the creation of the pattern instead of just watching it, watching it fade, we actually get to see how it gets perpetuated. Over and over again, we get to see that. And so, over time, the mind begins to understand this pattern is suffering. This was, a, this was like a mind-blowing insight for me at one point when I was early in my practice. Uh, the practice of observing anger was my very first mindfulness practice. I wasn't particularly interested in meditating, but I was interested in understanding my mind and why I got angry. And so I practiced with exploring my anger in daily life. That was my first meditation practice, my first mindfulness practice. Explore when I'm angry, be aware of that. And over the course of months, now reflecting back, as I said, I didn't really get this so much as wisdom um, until later. But um, at one point, I recognized or realized that there was something going on in my mind. I was angry at a particular person. And there was something going on in my mind that I was like, believing somehow that this anger was going to make them miserable. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) And um, in some ways, fortunately, very um, obvious to me because I happened to be in the Peace Corps on a South Pacific island and the person that I was angry with was 7,000 miles away in California. (laughs) And so after some weeks of observing the anger, I finally got it. Oh, this isn't making that person 
feel miserable at all. They have no clue, <laughs> you know, that that there's anger in the field. They just they have no idea. And what I began to see is, oh, and this anger makes me miserable. Duh. But (laughs) the idea that it was, you know, hurting someone else or that it was going to make someone else miserable was obscuring the dukkha here. That is an insight. It's It's wisdom to recognize this present moment arising, in this case, of anger. This is dukkha. This is the first noble truth. The Buddha asked us to recognize this is dukkha and then to understand dukkha. This morning in the hall, the question or the, the, the question came up about looking at craving for becoming. And this is a kind of a similar example in a way in that in our non-mindful mode, the craving for becoming, what we're typically focused on is the idea of what we will become. So the good yogi, the good meditator, the one who's seen, the one who's respected or admired, We have that craving to be that person. And that idea, the mind kind of projecting, oh yes, that's what I'm going to be someday. It's a pleasant fantasy. It's a pleasant thought. The mind is in that pleasant thought. And that pleasant thought is obscuring the suffering of the craving. And so this morning the question was, or recognition in the question was, I'm seeing the craving of becoming and it is suffering. Yes, that's an insight. It's wisdom that shows you craving is suffering. Again, it's not a mistake when clear awareness sees dukkha. Wisdom sees dukkha. Wisdom understands dukkha as being something arising here and understands the deeper understanding is that it can be understood, it can be freed. So this is one of the ways that purification works. We've used that word a lot in the hall too. You know, with clear seeing, the mind begins to understand the consequences of what it is engaged with, what it's engaged in doing. For me, with the um, anger, after several weeks of observing the anger come up over and over again, the mind began to understand the consequences of that, which was suffering here. Until the mind understood the consequences of that, it wasn't going to change its pattern.
somebody asked me um, in one of the meetings today, how does purification work? What's the mechanism of purification? And I think this is connected to this. It's like our organism is oriented towards well-being. It wants to be happy. It wants to feel good. And in our typical way of meeting the world, the organism will go the quickest way to the quickest place of well-being, which would be having what I want and getting rid of what I don't want. Greed and aversion, basically. And so without mindfulness and wisdom, the organism really fundamentally misunderstands how well-being is found, how well-being comes about. And so with mindfulness and wisdom, the organism gets good information. The wisdom of, oh, craving is suffering. Yes, wisdom sees craving is suffering. That information points the mind that that way of going about finding well-being doesn't work very well. It reveals the underlying unreliability of that way of going around finding well-being. And so we experience the dukkha in mindfulness and wisdom. It's not a mistake. This wisdom then begins to help the mind let go of that craving. When the mind really begins to get it that its own processes are contributing to non-well-being, the mind itself begins to understand how to let go of that. And this is what we mean when we say wisdom does the work of freeing the mind. A few more ways of experiencing wisdom. Some of you might have seen at times as the uh, mindfulness gets stronger and as wisdom gets stronger, sometimes you might see you turn to look at something challenging. It's like you, you see, oh, there's that, there's that um, confusion or frustration or a sense of abandonment or feeling of loneliness and the mind turns towards it and it vanishes. This very quick disappearance of a defilement on being seen is another symptom of wisdom. The first, one of the first times this happened to me is like, I didn't trust it actually. I was um, on a three-month retreat. It was the middle of a three-month retreat. And there was the, just about this time, and there was the crossover and I knew I'd be getting new teachers and um, I felt abandoned by my teachers who were leaving. <laughs> um, and I bow to this. I know that this will, some of this will be happening. It's, 
it's um, it's hard. I want to acknowledge that it is hard. And so I was exploring that feeling of abandonment, and um, feeling at some point recognized. Oh, I, f- I felt like I felt like I was like a four-year-old little girl who'd been left. And so there was part of me that felt that four-year-old little girl and there was like this sense of compassion of holding the whole thing. And so I was exploring it in this way. And then at some point, interest got strong. It's like, well, what is this feeling of abandonment anyway? And I like turned to look at it and it vanished. And the story I told myself in that moment, this is how far I was from really recognizing wisdom. The story I told myself was, oh, I must not know how to observe emotions. I don't know how to do this right, so I'm going to ask my teacher when I get in, how do I observe emotions? And I went in and I reported this, and, and then I said, she, she, it was Carol, actually, and, and she said, well, was it your experience that there was any lingering sense? And I said, no, it was gone. And she said, trust your experience. I said, I thought I'd made a mistake. She said, trust your experience. So sometimes wisdom can be strong like that. Interest gets high, the mind orients and observes something and it vanishes. You can just notice that it vanishes. You don't have to go back and figure out what happened like I tried to do. (laughs) Just like, that happened, that vanished. Kind of back to the car analogy. Um, um, This is, uh, you know, if you're thinking about that car going down the road at uh, 65 miles an hour, in this case what happens isn't that the car goes into neutral or even that the car stops. The car disappears. kind of a funny feeling. (laughs) Another um, exploration or or, uh, way wisdom can manifest is in seeing or recognizing that defilements are not arising. Bhante mentioned the, oh, this reference in the uh, Satipatthana last night of um, looking at the fetters. We see the fetters, we understand the fetters, we see as they arise, as they, the conditions for them passing away, and we see the conditions for the future non-arising of that fetter. This idea of the non-arising of something, this was also a question that somebody asked me. It's like, how, how on earth do you see the non-arising of something? And in exploring this one, um, much of the time, seeing the non-arising of something is more of an understanding. So for instance, um, I've, I've thought of different ways, four different ways that you might recognize defilements are not arising. The first is through, um, you know, the the tool of wise effort. We begin to get familiar with what things, what conditions create defilements. And we learn to avoid those, those situations. We recognize how 
to not engage in the conditions that create the arising of that suffering. So we learn to avoid unhelpful conditions. We may see through reflection, this is the second way, we may see through reflection, kind of looking back, wow, you know, this situation, I remember five years ago, if this situation had arisen five years ago, there would have been a lot more reactivity. So it's not that you're actually seeing the non-arising of the defilement, but you're, you're knowing how in the past more defilement would have, been, would have arisen. Is this familiar? Do you, do you recognize that one? You know that after some time of practice, we begin to see that we're not as reactive anymore. So this is a way of, of recognizing the non-arising of a defilement. The most direct way or most experiential way of seeing the non-arising of a defilement is as the, uh, the mindfulness starts to get more continuous, we see in the mind stream, we begin to recognize, you know, like for instance, this uh, exploration of um, anger that I did early in my practice. I watched anger for months. The mind got really, really familiar with anger. And at some point, it got so attuned to the experience of anger that it actually began to recognize the just beginning of congealing of the state of anger. What, in retrospect, I can see was the intention to anger. So this happened, um, I had been observing this pattern of anger for several months and, you know, I was just, I was just in my kitchen, I was doing something in my kitchen, cutting an apple, and in a moment, I wasn't like, like really trying, I'm going to be mindful here, but there was a fair amount of mindfulness present. This was, you know, maybe two, three months into my practice, and just practicing. I wasn't even doing sitting meditation at this point. This is the power of mindfulness and the power of practice e- even in daily life, actually. This, um, I was just cutting this apple in my kitchen and because I had been exploring this quality of anger, I apparently had been fairly attuned to the conditions that led to anger. And I saw in my mind as I cut that apple a thought about the person I was angry with. And I felt, in my experience, it felt like a freight train of, oh yeah, let's jump on this thought and think more thoughts to get angry at that person. This is all seen within a split second. I saw that momentum towards anger. And in the next split second, the mind recognized, you know, here I had been paying attention to anger for months, I had fully recognized, oh, anger is dukkha. And the mind, this is again the power of how purification works, the mind in seeing that freight train of intention to get angry, in that moment recognized anger, that's dukkha. And the wisdom in that moment 
deconstructed, let go of that intention, and the anger did not arise. That was the most direct seeing of the non-arising of something, seeing how the, the mind was kind of poised to leap to anger, and the wisdom was right there, and the anger did not arise. So that's, that's um, another way that we see the non-arising of, of defilement, through seeing the intention or the momentum of something. And, and basically the, the wisdom understanding, ooh, that way lies suffering. It was as if the, the, the feeling was very much that, um, you know how if you put your hand on something hot, the hand will draw back even almost before you felt the heat. You know, the, the body recognizes, oh, that's dangerous. It was that kind of seeing. The mind drew back from it. That way lies suffering. So this is, this is another part of the mechanism of purification. Another way that we know with uh, that wisdom is present is the uh, when we experience the balance of mind that is non-reactive. So this is the experience of wise attitude. We see, we feel the stability. We feel that sense, of, and several of you in, in the interviews have talked about like feeling rooted, like not buffeted around by things. That sense of equanimity is an indication the defilements are not present. So this is also the non-arising of the defilements. Other conditions, other uh, states of mind may be arising at this time too. Compassion, joy, metta, interest, curiosity. There also uh, can be manifestations of wisdom. as um, the mindfulness gets stronger and we really start to see the dynamic flow of experience. We like land in the impermanent, changing, dynamic nature of experience. Wisdom, wisdom creates the conditions for us to see that in the first place. And at times, wisdom will be quite strong and clearly recognize in that moment, it's like there isn't anything to hold on to, nothing to cling to. It's not even possible to cling in that moment. The mind is so attuned to the changing nature of experience. Sometimes wisdom can operate kind of in the background, not uh, obvious to us. 
kind of, kind of, can be kind of at work. It can kind of be at work while we're not looking. And this is actually good news too. <laughs> that wisdom can be a factor that is uh, kind of, it, it develops its own momentum. Wisdom develops its own momentum and begins to just do its thing. One um, instance I had of this, still around the story of anger, this was um, some years after the, this, is, this, this exploration of anger was a, a, a several years long process. And at one point um, I began recognizing that certain times when I tried to turn my attention to be mindful of the anger, to really get familiar with it, to investigate it, to look at it. To, like I, at some point, you know, when I was at first starting to explore this stuff, I was like really naive, you know. It's like I didn't know any of the tools of investigation or whatever. And I was just like, oh yeah, anger, that's anger. Okay, that's, oh, anger again. Okay, it's like I had no tools. Nobody had ever told me or taught me because I was off in the Peace Corps. I had read books but hadn't had a meditation teacher to teach me and so I didn't have anybody telling me about how to investigate it in my body and feel where it was or so I didn't know any of that after I learned all of that stuff I started digging when the anger came up it's like oh anger ooh, let's put that under the microscope let's figure that out let's look at that and what started to happen is that every time I do that I'd go down the rabbit hole of anger and so at some point I kind of got the idea okay trying to be mindful, at least in that way, trying to be mindful of the anger wasn't so helpful. So I set it aside. So I would notice, it would be like, I'd see the anger. When it came up, I'd I'd bow to it. I see you, anger. And I'm going to put my attention on my feet right now. You you can be here. I'm not going to tell you you're not going to be here, but, you know, you wait over there, and I'll be with my feet. (laughs) So I did that for a long time, actually. And um, you know, may, I don't even know how long, maybe as long, several months or maybe as long as a year, I, I explored the anger in that way. And over time, I began recognizing kind of the bouts of anger were getting further apart. So in some sense, I was seeing the non-arising of the anger in some ways, but mostly what I recognized was that, wow, it's not bothering me as much anymore. And then one day, I remember so clearly where I was. I mean, this was the wisdom being presented to me. I was walking up my um, sidewalk, and it occurred to me, wow, I haven't experienced that anger in a very long time. And in that thought, of course, the person I was angry with came into my mind and uh, I couldn't conjure it up. It was gone. I didn't believe it was gone at first. It was kind of like, (laughs) 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 where did it go? (laughs) And um, and yet that moment the recognition was it was gone and it, n- it has not come back since then. It vanished while I wasn't looking. <laughs> it 
the wisdom showed me that was that was a that was a really great learning there that moment of recognizing okay actually you know my orientation of this isn't always the way sometimes things will let go kind of on their own in the background that's another form of wisdom So learning to recognize these little bits of wisdom, these moments of wisdom, helps us to uh, cultivate the wisdom. As, As we have been saying, when we are aware of wholesomeness, it creates the conditions for the wholesomeness. And so, actually, when I first began exploring this with Saira Utejaniya, what I, I did, I mean, I, I didn't have the way to articulate the different ways I was seeing things like I did now. But what I started to do is when the mind was particularly clear and there was a sense that there was a, a kind of a clarity of the mind seeing things, I just, re- I just said to myself, wisdom is here. And that's where I left it. I didn't go digging or try to figure out what the wisdom was. I just said, wisdom is here. And went on with my practice. Just a simple acknowledgement of the sense that wisdom was operating in that moment. Since wisdom is a conditioned phenomenon and insight the manifestation of wisdom. Sigh. Insights are impermanent. Wisdom is impermanent. The conditions arise for clear seeing and sometimes it happens that it is like, it's so obvious when we're in that state. Is this familiar to you? It's like, How can I not see this? It is so clear. And in that place, when wisdom is very strong like that, when wisdom is strong like that, it's like the mind cannot comprehend the possibility in that moment of not seeing it that clearly. And yet, maybe seconds, maybe hours later, something shifts. And it's like, wow, I guess it wasn't that obvious. You know, just seeing the changing nature of experience and how, and how there isn't anything to cling to. And, you know, a thought wafts through and it's like, oh yeah, that's a thought, oh, there it goes. It's like, it seems so clear and so obvious. And yet, that's a very refined state of mind where wisdom is very strong. And it is, again, it's conditioned. It will fall apart. It's not a mistake that it falls apart. It's not a personal failing that it has fallen apart. It is conditions have shifted. And yet, having seen something like that, having seen something clearly like that, there's a way in which the memory of that lingers the memory of that 
can linger in a way. I mean, maybe at some point you've had the rec- clear recognition. Yeah, things are just arising in the present moment. And then another time when it's like, well, I can't see it that way anymore. Rather than second-guessing the insight, which sometimes we do, and I've done my share of that, was that real? You know, did I really see that? Rather than second-guessing the insight, it's like what we can recognize in that moment is clearly delusion is operating right now when we're not seeing something clearly like that. We can, having seen it clearly before, recognize that delusion has descended and just be aware. Ah, this is delusion. Delusion is operating right now. Having seen it without delusion, you begin to recognize delusion actively in the present moment. And this is very powerful because we're no longer fooled by our delusion. We may not be able to see through it, but we're also not fooled by it. So our insights, our wisdom, supports our confidence, our interest in exploring, supports our mindfulness, supports our continuity of mindfulness which leads to further insights. Those five faculties that I mentioned at the beginning, they really spiral and support each other. A little bit of wisdom, a little bit of wisdom really generates confidence, generates a sense of, yes, this is possible. I'm willing to try this generates the energy, generates the mindfulness and the concentration, creates the conditions for more clear seeing. So it's a process, of course. And just a reminder of simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. We can see what we can see. It's often helpful not to dig, but rather to just notice, oh, this is what's obvious. Meet that and meet the next moment that's obvious. Wisdom will grow. We don't have to make it grow. It grows because the conditions are there to support it. So let's just sit for a moment. 